gifts and the, the things that we've received in him more powerfully. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys. Dad also, and I know that I have no control. There's a verse on that screen, just a portion of uh, Galatians 5.1 out of the NIV, and it says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Let's read that together. You ready? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And that's what this series is about. It's about living in freedom regardless of the reality that surrounds you or the circumstances that surround you. And I believe and know, well, actually, I have, a, I have a, um, what do you, an agenda with this series, and it's not a political one, so chill. It's all good. <laughs> um, but I have an agenda, and, and what it is, I'm trying to prepare the body of Christ in Rock Springs, particularly the one I'm responsible for at Ordinary Faith, for um, a ministry and, and uh, more assertive approach to things that are happening in reality that may not be as obvious. So uh, I guess you could say I'm preparing us uh, to um, be more assertive as a church, I guess. Uh, I have another word that I would use if we weren't streaming, but uh, we are, so I won't. <laughs> if you're online, don't forget to check in, say hello so we know you're there. I'm hot this morning, and uh, I think it's either the humidity or the fact that I'm moving. I don't know which one it is. So last week we talked about tyrants, those who are trying to take away our freedom. We talked about how that there, are, there are enemies that have their dwelling in eternal places, dark places, spiritual places, that are trying to take away your freedom. We talked about how that sometimes we take away each other's freedom because we scare each other. And so we came to the conclusion last week that Christ is our advocate, he is our defense attorney, and that he can take care of all those enemies and defend us in court before God, and so we are free. Well, today we're talking about a mindset, and um, it's, it's a way of thinking. And I have to keep this sermon to less than today. <clears throat> I mean, I would love to start at the emancipation of the nation of Israel and show you the slave mindset through 40 years of wilderness and through an initial invasion of the promised land and then a return to it in the book of Judges, but I don't have time for all that. What I want you to know as we work through this today is that because of entering Christ and believing in Christ and declaring him as Lord of your life, and the little caveat, if you're still exploring faith, understand what I'm about to talk about is for those who have repented or recognized that Jesus deserves to be their Lord and they can't be their own God. And so that's the beginning of a faith journey. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I, that's, I know that's a hard statement. So Jesus was either a lunatic or he was legit, okay? And I believe he was legit, okay? So... Once you enter into that reality that Jesus is the way, some things become true for you. You begin to live a reality that is deeper and more profound than you can see with your eyes or sense with your, any of your other senses. And that reality we're talking about in this series is freedom. That you are free. But living in freedom requires a different way of thinking. It requires a different vocabulary. It requires some different sentences that we say to ourselves. And so today we're going to look at some sentences that we say to ourselves that are, that are indicative of a slave mindset. 
and I want to set us free. And so I really have a really long introduction, really long introduction, and a short sermon. I know you're sitting there going, well, just skip the sermon. No, it's more fun if I torment you. So we've already tapped into Galatians 5.1. Out of the NLT, another translation of the Bible, it says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure you stay free. Now make sure you stay free. You have been set free. That's a past tense reality. So make sure you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. He's specifically talking about the Old Testament law, but he also in context in that letter and in Colossians deals with the reality that we end up, we end up enslaved to all kinds of laws that come from all kinds of places. And so we, we are very good at making laws for ourselves that we can't abide by. My focus today, I'm going to be talking, this isn't a Father's Day message, but I'm talking to sons. But that doesn't mean I'm talking to men. Every Christian... Every Christian has to learn two things. They have to learn to be two things. The son of God and the bride of Christ. Every woman has to learn to be a son of God. Every man has to learn to be the bride of Christ. Say, Michael, that's weird. Yes, it is. But it's true. Today I'm talking to sons of God. And I'm not talking about I'm talking to all of you, not just the guys. Does that make sense? Okay, all right. So, the Bible says in 1 Peter 2.16, live as, what's that word? Free. free. Live as free people. Live as free people. This is from Peter. Not using your freedom as a pretext for evil or as a license to do what you want to do, but as God's slaves. Does that sound weird to anybody else? Am I the only one that's reading this verse going, live as free as God's slaves? Huh? Hey, it's a, if you're not asking the Bible questions, you're not thinking about it. And, and it's important that you think about it. It's important that you struggle with the things that these guys wrote about God and about Jesus and the things that Jesus said. The struggle is where your faith comes from. Okay? If someone gives you a faith, it'll never be your own. And it won't stand under hard times. Okay? So here Peter writes... Live as free people, not using your freedom as a pretext for evil, but as God's slaves. It's a, the word slaves there is a Greek word, doulos. Uh, and I know you're like, oh, I love it when he goes into the Greek. Some of you might, but <laughs> so the King James translated as bondservant. It's a slave who chooses to be a slave. It's a slave who chooses to be a slave. What does that mean? You cannot be a doulos unless you are first free. You cannot be God's slave unless you are free from your original master on this earth, the prince of darkness, the powers that rule the earth, from sin, from all the things that that causes, from guilt and shame. Only a free person can be God's slave. Say amen. amen. You're like, I don't know what you meant, but I did what you said. <laughs> I get it. I get it. But it's really important that you know this. God wants you to be free. That is his desire for you. That's what he has purchased for you. But the best use of your freedom and the most advantageous to your life on earth and your life after earth is that your freedom be used to accomplish God's will and purpose for your life. That's, right. yeah. That's the best use of freedom. Why is that? Simply because, and I know this is profound and deep, simply because God is is 
smarter than you. Okay? He knows more than you. The most intelligent person on the planet. I wonder how much of all the information that's available in the universe they could actually know. How much is knowable by a single human mind? My, my guess is it's a very small amount of all that can be known. But God, the one who has no beginning and no ending, he has all knowledge, all information, and he is intimately concerned with you individually. Do you understand that? And so whatever he desires for your life is the best course for your life. So when you take the freedom Jesus has given you and you use that freedom to be a willing servant of God, that's what we see the apostles talking about in their letters, and that is the best course for your life. Okay? Does that make any sense at all? Did I get that? It's okay? You're like, yeah. It's all right. I mean, it's, it's not an episode of Supernatural, but it's okay. Now, here's the thing. There are slaves, there are saints, and there are sons. There are slaves, there are saints, and there are sons. Slave is a mindset. Some examples of a slave. King Saul of the Old Testament. King Saul was king, and yet he thought like a slave. He, 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 did not, he would not obey God. He would not trust that God's will and purpose was the best for him and for the kingdom. And so he lived his entire life in fear, anxiety, and shame, and insecurity. And, and Saul, Saul's life, <laughs> compared to David's, if you were to compare the morality of King Saul to the morality of King David, King Saul would win. Okay? But King Saul was not the man after God's own heart. The man after God's own heart was David, the worshiper. The one who believed that God's will and purpose was best for his life. A man who sub- submitted his, even his, the ability in his life to kill King Saul, who was trying to kill him. David refused to do it because he believed in God's will over his opportunity. And so David messed up far worse than King Saul. But David trusted God, and David experienced forgiveness, and God used everything in David's life, even the things that were horrible, to accomplish wonderful things for the history of the world. King Saul ended up dying in shame, no descendants, everything gone. Why? King Saul lived like a slave, trying to earn it from God, trying to get his share, trying to get what he deserved. And in the end, he kind of did get what he deserved. David never got what he deserved. He had some trials. He suffered. But in the end, he became a mighty king with a, and a legendary in his reign. There are lots of evidences of slaves in the Bible. The nation of Israel, I think, was a slave the entire 40 years in the wilderness. I think the best example is the prodigal son story. I think the older brother who almost never gets talked about in the prodigal son story, is a perfect example of slave thinking. Here's a son who lived in his father's house who felt zero ownership of anything in his father's house. That's what we see in, First King, I mean in Luke 15 in the story of the prodigal son and his older brother. And all of that is slave thinking. 
And we'll talk a little bit about it. And what I want to do with it today is I, I, want to, uh, I want to address some of the things that slaves believe. I want to address three sentences that goes through the mind of a slave. And then at the end of this message, I want to emancipate the slave. I want to set the slave free. Everything I'm talking to you about today is something that I actively struggle with presently. This isn't something, I, I can't, I, I'm ne- I don't think I'm ever going to give a sermon and I'm going to be able to say, you know what, I got this one. This one I got down. I don't think it's ever going to happen. Now, I might have went through like slavery 101 and like a, the first class, but I'm in a doctorate level course. And so there's like, <clears throat> so I want to emancipate our thinking today. We believe things based on what we see with our eyes and sense with our senses. We believe things based upon what we've been able to logically deduce with minds that don't have enough information. We believe things based on how we were raised and what we've been told, and sometimes we do not investigate those things to even know if they were true. So today, we want to tear down three simple statements and address them. The first thing I want to come at is the statement of, I can do it. And I'm using Galatians chapter 4. And it's background text in Genesis as the the foundation for this talk today, okay? So Galatians chapter 4, verse 22. The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons. One from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. That's two wives for you guys who are counting. Okay? You say, "Uh, do we believe in that? No, and we don't. It was a bad idea then. All right. Can you imagine a guy saying, hey, I have this one household and I am really struggling. I'll add another one. Okay. So he had a slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. A human attempt, human effort to accomplish God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of the promise. So this idea, I can do it. I can handle this. I can get through this. I can cowboy up. There's definitely a place for grit and endurance. That's a separate sermon from today. The reality that I want you to see in this is that the Bible is filled with a long list of failures of people who decided they could accomplish God's will in their own strength. And it turned out badly every single time. Not only did it turn out badly, it turned out so badly that often lives were lost and the effects of that terrible decision lasted for generations, some even to this day, case in point, Abraham and Sarah. The issues that are happening in the Middle East today, all the tension that's going on over there began with this extra household. This choice by Abraham, and he would say it's not a choice. He would say, Sarah told me to do it. (laughs) And we're about to see how long that lasted. (laughs) And so it just seems like we see it time and again. Even the scripture, Abraham did it, terrible choice with Haggai and the the birth of Ishmael. Moses, Moses was amazed in a lot of ways, but there was a time, there were several times he lost his temper. But then there was one time he went way too far, 
and he struck a rock. And it was the rock that was giving water to all the people. And the rock, according to 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us that rock was Jesus. And that's just Paul's wording, the rock was Jesus. So you can decide if that's symbolic or not. All I know is Paul said the rock was Jesus. And Moses, who had already hit that rock before to get water to come out of it, got so mad one day he hit it again. Jesus took another stripe for us. But it, it, was, it was a blasphemy, actually, because it was a stroke that Jesus wasn't supposed to receive. It messed up the prophecy. And so Moses lost it, and so you see this human effort. Saul, Saul wouldn't obey God because he was afraid that, that God wouldn't fulfill his purpose. And so Saul took on it himself to do what he wanted to do to fulfill God's purpose. David's another one. Even David messed up on this. There was a time they were trying to move the Ark of the Covenant from outside of Jerusalem into Jerusalem, and someone had a great idea. Let's pull it on a wagon. The problem is, is that God had already told the people how the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be carried. It was supposed to be carried by people, by priests, and that was how it was supposed to be carried. So David's bright idea put the Ark on a, on a cart. They hit a pothole. Can you believe they had potholes back then, too? <laughs> The ark fell off. A guy named Uzzah tried to stop it from falling, which actually was an act of arrogance. I know you're like, anyway. When he touched it, it's the ark of the covenant, the presence of God's all over thing. When he touched it, he instantly died. David was terrified, and everything stopped. And that decision stood for a year because of David trying to accomplish something good in God's name, by human effort. This is why the phrase, I can do it, is so dangerous. Because I can't do it. I'm not empowered by me. I'm the lowest form of power in my life. I'm the lowest form of power in my life. My power comes from the God's spirit and Jesus' life. So, I believe, I do believe, and I've said this before, but it's one of my favorite soapboxes, so I shall say it again. I think this is what's hurting the church today. I think Christianity today is trying to do good things for God in God's name, but they're not doing the things God told them to do. And a good thing offered to God in God's name, offered by man's power, is a terrible thing and will ultimately come to nothing. Jesus said in John 6, 63, human effort amounts to nothing. So we cannot do God's will in our power. So this phrase, I can do this, I can get through this, that's slave thinking. Because it puts all the power and all the control, all the strength on you. And I don't know if you figured this out yet. It took me a while. I'm not that strong. There really isn't that much that Michael can do in Michael's own strength. There really isn't. So when I start thinking about this and I start connecting my life to God's effort, uh, then I start getting in trouble. Now, but, but, and I'm going to talk about rest in a minute. Jesus was a really hard worker. I mean, he, he, he worked from early in the morning to late in the evening. He ministered to people. He was up half the night, many nights, and all nights, some nights, praying Jesus was a very diligent and committed person. But he accomplished so much in that three and a half years of ministry that he, he did. And I, I look at Jesus' life, and I'm like, so what Jesus is doing can't be human effort because he's the one who said human effort amounts to nothing. But he's working really hard. 
What was different about Jesus Christ? What can we learn about Jesus Christ that could help us be more like him? Because I look around us and I realize that, okay, nah, I don't look around us. I look at me and I realize that in me, I do some things that aren't wise. I would say I do dumb things, but it sounds better to say I do some things that aren't wise. Sometimes I'm working and filling out my agenda. I was praying about this yesterday morning. I was having a devotion time with the Lord, and I was like, this is, this is a common question that the Father and I discuss. And it starts like this. What is wrong with me? I don't even understand myself. Because I, you know, I, took a, I took a little bit of time off the last few days. Um, I, I took my dog camping, and that was a terrible mistake. Um, <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> she had a great time. Uh, that's all that matters. Um, but anyway, I, I took some time off for reflection, for prayer, for just some, some uh, quiet and solitude. And uh, I'm, as soon as I'm back at home, I'm working on my to-do list for next week. I'm filling out all the work I'm going to do, all my efforts. I do this every day of my life and have been doing it like this since I was old enough to write and, and know that I had things to do, you know. And so I, I started putting this stuff down. And, and <laughs> what I began to realize is I'm like, I am getting my value from how much I can accomplish. I am finding my self-worth and how many things I can check off in a day, a week, a month, a year. And, and I'm sitting there, God, what is wrong with me? Because this is stressing me out. I'm tired. Anyone else in the room tired? Say amen. amen. I'm tired. What is wrong with me? Why am I just looking? I, why am I just looking? Do you hear this? Why am I looking for things to do? What if I told you that Jesus did not look? For things to do. What if I told you that what Jesus did was he looked for what the Father was doing? What an amazing question to begin your day with. I wonder what God's up to today. I wonder what God's doing. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but sometimes you don't need to be working. You need to be hanging out with your wife or your husband. Sometimes you don't need to be working. You need to be spending time with your kids or calling your kids or grandkids. This is for me, not for you. If it hits you, you're standing too close to me. Stand closer to Jesus. <laughs> Sometimes we don't need to be working. We need to be resting in things that matter. Uh, if I could go on, and I didn't mean to share this with you, but uh, my wife isn't here, so I can say what I want. <laughs> Just kidding. She would, she's amazing. But yesterday, I put down my list. For the first time, let's see how I'm 52, first time in like 30 years. I said, no list today. Just, I prayed. I've got a prayer list. I, went, I did go through the prayer list because I guess I've got to have a list. <laughs> and I just left my office and I started hanging out with my wife. And we went, came and had a ball game, and we went to the ball game. It was the first time we went to the ball game that I wasn't in a hurry to leave the ball game. And I hung out with Cayman, and I hung out with my wife, and we hung out with some people at a picnic that was after the ball game. And we hit a couple of yard sales because my wife really enjoys yard sales. Amen. Stop. <laughs> 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 
then uh, we, we hit the, the Wild Sage Market display over in Green River and just, just hung out. For, for some reason, it didn't drive me crazy. Usually I'm on pins and needles going, I got to get something done. I got to go do something. I, gotta I, I make coffee nervous and give aspirin a headache. I'm just saying. <laughs> and um, we went to bed last night around 9.30 or 10, and my wife got in the bed, and she said, you know, thank you for a great day. So yesterday was definitely worth chilling out. When your wife says thank you for a great day, that is a great day. Right? So, this working hard and finding things to do isn't the answer. The answer is doing what Jesus did. I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. Did you hear that? The son of God can do nothing by himself. Why do we think we can? Right? Did that land? Okay. I can do nothing by myself. He only does what he sees the Father doing, what the Father does, the Son does. That's how to have a great day. Look for what God is doing. And maybe God's taking the day off. You know God takes days off, right? Well, he took one. And taught us that that's what we needed. And maybe he's saying you need to rest. My point is simply that when that lie of I can do it, I can work hard, I can muscle through this, I can make this happen, this is what leads you into discouragement and depression and loss because you get to the end of yourself so quickly. Don't you? Don't you? We need deeper fuel and stronger power than what we can muscle up. Okay? So I can do it. That's how slaves think. It's not how free people think. Because God says this in the writer, to the, through the writer of Hebrews, he says there's a special rest still waiting for the people of God. There's a special rest. This is one of my favorite verses. I read it all the time because I'm lousy at resting. And so it's one I think about often. It says, for all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. I love, I love the ocean. That's why I live in Wyoming. <laughs> Hey, we got great beaches, just no water. Anyway, so um, so a couple months ago, we got to go down to the Panhandle of Florida and stayed at Miramar Beach for a few days, and uh, we, we went out into the Gulf. And I tell you, the Emerald Coast is, if you haven't seen it, you got to see it. It's amazing. And uh, so we went down there, and I love, I don't know why, but I, I love the ocean. I like the gorge, too, in August. Not right now, it's frigid, but, you know, and later. But I like to sit there, and those waves come in, and I just kind of work with them. It's totally not like me in life at all. If, 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 if my life were pictured by me sitting in the ocean, I would be fighting every wave that came. What are you doing in my life? Leave me alone. <laughs> That's how I do my life. But when I go to the ocean, man, I just sit there, and I just float around. I got a good float system. <sighs> The waves come in, you know, and I just ride the waves. And some of them are big waves, and they splash over your head, and they feel refreshing. And I just love working with the waves of the ocean. And uh, I, when we were there in May, this was a prayer thing. I'm just sitting there in the water watching Cayman get farther and farther and farther away. But that's normal. That's how life is. And I'm just floating in the ocean and enjoying and relaxing, letting all my cares just wash away with those waves. And I'm like, why can't I live my life like this? 
why can't I just work with what God is doing? I don't. I fight what God is doing. I mean, I fight the, 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 the rotation of the planet. The pull of the moon. And I'm like, oh, my, a wave comes in in my life. You know, I'm, I'm in the ocean, I'm on vacation, and the wave comes in. Oh, that's nice. In life, the wave comes in, goes over my head. I'm like, what were you doing? You're ruining my day. See, part of freedom is working with God. Working with what's happening. Working with your circumstances. Growing in them. Not losing your faith in God just because something bad happened. But finding out that God is faithful even though bad things are happening. God gets all the credit for the bad things and none of the credit for the good things. And that's, we have to be careful not to be that way. So, we have to learn to rest. We have to learn to rest like Jesus. Because Jesus worked with God. He didn't look for things to add to his list. He just looked for where the Father was going. He worked with the Father. He did a lot. He was very busy. His ministry was incredibly full. Of course, he's doing this on a Jewish timetable, which means that every seven days, he did take a day off. He took a day for worship and reflection and rest and those kinds of things. And, and we need to realize that we also are God's sons. Even if you're a lady. We are God's sons, and we work with our Father. So the idea of I can do it is not adequate. It's not adequate. I know there are times for grit and persistence. Again, that's beyond the scope of today. But I can do it's not adequate. The second thing I see in the story of Abraham and Sarah is the, the second lie we tell ourselves. The first lie is, I can do this. The second lie is, it's not my fault not my fault. In fact, there's a, it, it, there's a second part to that phrase. It's not my fault. It's your fault. You're to blame for my failure. So Sarah said to Abram, by the way, it was Sarah's idea about the whole Haggai thing and Ishmael. That was Sarah's idea. So back to Galatians chapter, I mean, Genesis 16, five, then Sarah said to Abraham, this is all your fault. <laughs> you did this to me. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not in the text. Uh, <laughs> I put my servant in your arms. Now she's pregnant. She treats me with contempt. The Lord will show you who's wrong, you or me. And Abraham replied, just like every husband in the room, <laughs> whatever you say, dear. <sighs> One day I'm going to teach a sermon about husbands and their assertiveness. But I'm going to wait. I'm going to fool you. I'm going to give you a sermon you think's cool. And then I'm going to sideswipe you with that one. Look, she's your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. You take care of it, Sarah. It's not my fault. We live, <laughs> some of this stuff is so, it's like simple maturity is what it, it sounds like today. But slaves blame. Slaves find somewhere to lay the blame. And that's what Sarah did to Abram. It's what Israel did time and time again. It's common throughout God's word. I, I hate blame. I don't understand blame at this point in my life. I, I'm, I'm at this, this ornery, cantankerous point in my life that I'm like, oh, fine. Blame someone. Blame me. I don't care. What does it change? Nothing. When you find someone to blame, what have you accomplished? Nothing. Because you still, 
you still have to endure the consequences of whatever stupid thing happened. Whether it was your fault, someone else's fault, matters not. We live in a world today where lots of the stupid decisions are made by people far removed from us and they're impacting our lives. Blaming them is not helping. It's not accomplished. It's not making you happy. If you wake up tomorrow morning and find someone to blame for your situation in life, it will not make you happy. It will just give you something to gripe about all day long. And believe it or not, griping will not make you happy. So, Sarah's mad at Abram. There's trouble with Hagar. I mean, what's family without a little drama? So the Bible's full of drama. So the, the simple truth is someone has to take responsibility. And this is how we move from slave thinking to free thinking. Is how do I take responsibility for my life and those under my authority? Those are two realities. My life and those I'm responsible for. That's, that's free thinking. Because I cannot control things that are happening outside of me. I cannot control the things that are happening to me. I love what John Maxwell says. It doesn't matter in life what happens to you. It matters what happens in you. That's right. And I believe that's a gene. I've used that quote for many years. It's inspired me many times. And I hope it will inspire you. We live in a world that has rejected God. Do you understand that, right? It's complete. There's not a Christian God-following nation on the planet Earth. There isn't. And if you don't agree with me, I'll be happy to buy you coffee and you can tell me all about it. And I will let you rant. But I do not believe there is a Christian nation on the planet. I believe the entire world's rebelled against God. I believe if you want to know what that results in, all you have to do is read Romans chapter 1, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And you'll see the reality of what happens when people just turn their back on God. Those consequences of that mass decision are going to impact your life. The Christians in the first century grew up in a God-rejecting world as well. They came to faith in a God-rejecting world. They suffered because of that. But still lived with joy. They still followed God. They still had, they took responsibility for their lives, even though their lives were incredibly difficult. So I want to encourage you, stop thinking like a slave and finding someone to blame. Think like a free person and take responsibility for your life, for your growth, for your family, for your children, your grandchildren, for your legacy. You know, it's a new thing that no one thinks past their own generation anymore. That's a, new, that's a new thing on the planet. Up until the industrial age, families wanted their families to continue. They wanted their family name to carry on. They, they wanted their tribe to expand and grow. But then the industrial age hit, the family began to disintegrate over time, go separate ways, and now no one thinks past their own short little 70-year existence. And so Christianity is meant to think legacy, not just temporary so someone has to take responsibility and so that has to be you the last okay so i can do it that's a lie it shows the son of a slave it's your fault <laughs> you're to blame it's not my fault that's a thinking of a slave and the last one is you don't deserve it either the last one is you don't deserve it. follow me i know this is a little hard to follow but 
Galatians 4.29, Paul writes, But now you're being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law, just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. So you see in Paul's writings that there's a conflict in play. There's always been a conflict in play. God followers, God rejectors. That's, That's how the Bible breaks it down. Paul breaks it down in many ways, light, darkness, so on, etc. But you see this persecution of others coming from Ishmael, who's born of the slave. And I think it's like this. I think misery loves misery. I know you're thinking, he's supposed to say misery loves company. No, misery doesn't really love company, I don't think so. I think that's just something we say. Uh, I think misery loves to make other people miserable. I think it's like this. Most people live their life with, if I can't have it, get it, do it, then I'm going to try and stop you too. That's slave thinking. I don't know why people are so worried about the behavior of others around them. I think we should worry about our own behavior. I think what I see most often is that we are concerned that your decisions are going to impact me, but we are not very concerned at all with the fact that my decisions are going to impact you. And I think the slave thinks, hey, 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 I need to control you. And I think the free person thinks, I need to control me. See, I I think that's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Self-control. I think Paul actually listed that in Galatians chapter 5. And I think our problem is we're trying other control. We're always trying to control someone else, fix someone else. And we're under this impression that we live in a world where there isn't enough. And it's true. If you only live in the world you can see, taste, touch, and feel, there isn't enough here. But I'm not from here. And if you believe in Jesus Christ and he's your Lord, you also are not from here. You're from another kingdom. And that kingdom doesn't know lack. That kingdom doesn't know not enough. And so Christians have to live in a way where they realize there's plenty. There's plenty for today. It might be plenty of rice and beans. It might be plenty of cash. I haven't had that day yet, but if I ever do. Last week I talked about winning a billion dollars, and I meant to throw in there, if you do, we need two million for a building. I'm just throwing it out there. (laughs) Anyway, we look at our world, and we're worried about these different communities, whether the ways of life that are around us that create a lot of fear. And what I see in the New Testament is I see the writers of the New Testament, the letters in particular, they seem to be primarily concerned with how people in the church treat each other. And so Paul talks a lot about gossip and criticism and complaining and groaning. He talks a lot about those. Those things almost never get talked about in churches today because I call them the acceptable sins. I, I, I've never had someone come, in, come to me as a pastor and go, you know, uh, yeah, there's a leader in the church and they are gossiping and complaining about other people and we need to address that. That has never happened. I've had a lot of people talk to me about the couple who's sitting together who are married. A lot of people talk to me about people who struggle with addiction and sexuality and all these different things. I've had a lot of those. And and here's the thing. I want those people in church. 
I want everybody who struggles with sin in church because I'm in church and I struggle with sin too. I just have a different list. Does that make sense? And so I think what we need to do is rather than misery loving ministry, misery, is I think we need to acknowledge that that there are sins throughout the body. And that we all struggle with our, with our sins and so forth. And the Bible tells us to confess our sins to one another, to live in ways that we're open with each other, and to support one another and encourage each other and build each other up. Amen. That's what I think we're supposed to do. That, that's what the church is here to do. Build each other up. Does that make sense? Amen. Only free people can do that. God has taught me something in the last uh, two years. Uh, my, my parents are going through some health issues. My father has dementia. And I'm looking at my dad, who is a, who's 72 years old. He's a former Marine. If you call him an ex-Marine, he'd probably still smack you. He served 13 months as a Marine uh, active duty in Vietnam in mortars. Um, Came home, and I was born 10 months later. He married my mom the second he got pretty fast off the boat, and, and then I arrived quickly thereafter. That was the way it was done in the 60s, I think. I'm looking at my father, who is my hero. I mean, I'm telling you, he's my hero. I've seen him witness to people who look like they could beat him into a pulp in the ground and him stand there telling about Jesus fearless, you know. I've seen him knock on doors that had dogs bigger than he was, barking, trying to eat him alive through screens. I have, my dad is my hero. And I'm looking at him now, and it's a struggle. And what my, what my father told me about my father was, Michael, you give him every ounce of dignity he can have in this life. And that's what I will do as his son. I don't know what this path is going to look like. Uh, I know what it's looking like now, but I know this. I'm going to do everything I can humanly do to make sure my dad and my mom have dignity their entire lives. What does that have to do with us? That's what we're here to do as a church. I don't care if they're addicted and they they came into church out of an alley and smell awful. I don't care if it's a hot mess of a mom trying to keep her family together. I don't care if it's, I don't care how bad the person is. Our job, our ministry, our gift as free sons of God is to give dignity. Does that make sense? To honor you, to hold you up, to encourage you, to bless you. And, and, and I know that doesn't mean we lie to people about realities. I'm not making that claim at all. But what I am saying is we can love, honor, and respect people and not judge them. People have enough judgment in their lives. Don't you? Don't you have enough guilt and shame to deal with? And I don't want to add to that. Here's what I want to do. What I want to do is say, hey, I get it. I also struggle with guilt and shame and worry and anxiety and insecurity. But I have found the way. There was this guy who was either a lunatic or legit 2,000 years ago who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I know a way out of the guilt and a way out of the shame, and I want to give that to you, and I will stay in that conversation as long as possible until you either hear it or walk away from it.
If this is your first Sunday, you probably think, man, that guy rants a lot. I just want you to be free. And I want every Christian in this room to be so free that they don't need you to be controlled in order for them to be free. So free that we can love people no matter what, encourage people no matter what, lift people up no matter what, be patient with people, kind, long-suffering, all of the things that Paul says are love in 1 Corinthians 13 are only possible to free sons of God. And that's who you are. And that's who I am. I love freedom. I love it. And I don't need you to give it to me. And if my freedom bothers you, I'm not even sorry. (laughs) Because I'm free to love you. Even if you don't like me. And you can be the same. We can all be free. We don't have to be slaves another day. Let's bow our heads. Father God, I'm going to ask you to emancipate the slaves. I ask you, Father, to give the sons and daughters, the sons and brides in this room a hunger for freedom, a desire and a a passion to go with you to the cross, to walk through the cross, to walk through the tomb, to come out in resurrected life, to follow you into this life as, as free sons of the King. I pray, God, for those struggling with those self-effort questions, those judgmental attitudes, those need to control others for fear of what might happen. I pray, Lord, that you would emancipate that. That you would establish an attitude, a heart, and a mindset of freedom for the sake of freedom. For the sake of God's freedom. For the sake of God's purpose. And so I ask you today to set men and women free. I pray that people struggling will receive prayer. I pray that you would Give them the courage to come and be prayed for. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and pray for the whole room right now, Lord. I just want to release in the name of Jesus a spirit of freedom on this house. Freedom that loves and loves God's will and loves God's purpose and loves the people that God loves. Which I think is the whole world. So I pray for freedom in this house. I release it in Jesus' name. And I pray, God, for those who are in circumstances that are strapping them down, who feel duct taped to the floor, as my wife once said. I pray, dear God, that you would help them to see today that those circumstances mean almost nothing eternally. They are, str- they are hard now. They're difficult now. And they call for endurance and patience now. But the truth is, is that the Son of God, the Bride of Christ, is free. And those circumstances are a lie. And I pray today that you release your freedom on them. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Steve.